0: Good morning. We are so grateful that you are here this morning. It is wonderful to see such a good crowd. Some of you may be first time visitors. Some of you are second time visitors. Even as James Isom and I were talking, some of you have been visiting as long as the pages have. We're glad to see them with us this morning. Uh, And, of course, uh, the sweet, sweet music to the preacher's ears of babies who are fussing and crying. And I mean that because I've been a father who has been uh, watching babies who are crying. And by the time you leave, you're sweating more than when you first got there. Uh, But for preachers and for congregations, it is wonderful to hear kids be a part of our service. And we're thankful for all of you who have come today. Uh, We usually, on a day like today, give the prize for most visitors to Marvin, for bringing the most visitors with him this morning. I'm taking that from him and giving it to Frank this morning. I think Frank is maybe more a little to blame, but we're thankful to all those who came to be a part of the wedding last night. Uh, We had mentioned that Peyton and Allie were getting married, and uh, Frank assured me things went well had a little bit of rain before it started but that passed through and they were able to have a, a great evening a great ceremony together so we're thankful for that and thankful all of you who have come our way and hope that you have uh, safe travel we were not able to be there last night because we had uh, previously committed the date to the spring formal that we put on each year. And I wanted to share just a couple of pictures of that because as Charles had announced a week or two ago, uh, the elders here graciously commit uh, some of the finances to help us with that, putting that on and the costs that are associated with that. We had about 42 young people. In the end last night, we had young people from Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia... Mississippi and Kentucky who were all there uh, about 42 young people to enjoy the evening together and uh, we had a good time enjoyed uh, the evening and we didn't have any rain the weather was just beautiful uh, and so we had a great time we appreciate the elders committing to that financially uh, we appreciate your prayers we uh, appreciate your support of our young people most of the young people were able to be a part of that and so uh, we just are so thankful to you for your support and all that Uh, We do look forward to a great day together as we usually do. We'll have lunch in just a few moments if you would like to stay and be a part of that. We'll have our afternoon service at 1.30 where we're going to be looking at the word truth or the idea of truth. And I do just want to make mention before we begin that we always try to say uh, that if you ever have any questions about anything that you hear or observe in our services, we would love to take a moment and answer those questions. You can see one of the elders, you can see myself as we finish up, and we would love to give a Bible answer for the things that we do and the things that we practice, the way that we worship. Uh, We would love for you to give us that honor by asking any questions that you have that come up uh, while you are here and while we're worshiping together this morning. Last week, we talked about technology. I know many of you weren't with us, but we talked about technology. We talked about the perils and dangers that sometimes come along with technology, and maybe with the idea of social media, and and those things together being such a powerful tool. What we also see is that because of things like technology and social media, there are issues that arise, and sometimes they come about because of the way life has changed, Some of that has to do directly with technology and social media. That's what we touched on last week, the way that it affects our brains and and the way that they affect our lives. But sometimes these things come about because of just the way that our culture changes and just the way that life has changed. I'd like to share three examples with you maybe to begin Imagine, if you will, being at a wedding. Some of you, that won't be too hard for you to think about, but some of you have been to weddings in this building. Some of you may have gotten married in this building. And imagine, if you would, that there was a wedding that was going on in this building. And folks were sitting just like you are right now, and the doors were closed in the back. And and as the doors open, right before the beautiful bride is about to be walked down the aisle by her father, just as the doors open, everyone usually stands, right? And imagine, if you will, that as the doors open and everyone begins to stand and and the bride and her father are just about to take their first steps into the ceremony, that as everyone stands up and has been standing for a few seconds, that somebody sitting up front maybe on, on the groom's side yells out and says, wait a minute. Why are we standing? Don't you know that the groom has a 102-year-old grandmother? He calls her Nana, and she's sitting down here in a wheelchair, and don't you know that she can't stand? She's not able to stand up, and it's, it's really hurtful that all of you would stand when she's not able to stand. Now, I hope that none of you may have experienced something like that, but you can certainly imagine Maybe you've seen a picture like this before on social media, right? It's kind of the viral shopping cart theory, if you will. It says that a person's moral character can be determined by whether or not they choose to return their shopping cart at a store to, to its designated spot or whether they decide not to, right? Maybe you've seen the pictures that go along with this. It usually says something to the effect of the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test. For whether a person is capable of self governing. Now, most of us would agree, right? And maybe some of you have seen this. Most of us would agree that it is a good thing, just simply a good thing, that a person would responsibly take care of their own card and, and not leave the parking lot a mess and put it back where it's supposed to go, there in those spaces in the parking lot, right? But then a person shares something like that on social media and people begin shouting. And they say things like, don't you know that there are elderly people who can't get the shopping cart over to the designated area? Don't you know there's people who are missing an arm and, and they're not able to push it? Don't you know there are mothers with young children who have their arms full and they're just simply not able to do that? Or maybe all of us remember how in 2020 it changed our lives. Our lives were upended and things changed a lot from what we once knew. Like many other congregations, we decided for a time to close our doors and not meet here. We were unsure of what was happening, so we decided to cancel services for a while. We bought a camera. We began to live stream our services. And there is a benefit in that, correct? For those who are not able to get out and be here, there are those who are able to use it. But at some point, either in 2020 or 2021, many preachers began to say, it's time to be back together. You know, it's time for us to assemble again. And, and they may have even said that even after the, the congregation was assembling, but to encourage those who maybe were staying home, it's, it's time for us to be back together. And if there are people who are, to, who are able to assemble with the church again, you should want to be here in person. And people began to shout. And they said, don't you know I have a sick family member? Don't you know that I have to work and I can't be there? I don't think the preacher should say things like that. And the question then is, is, do you see anything wrong with any of that? Does that bother you at all? Does it make you feel like you're, you're maybe going a little crazy, we might say? Because we, we look around us and sometimes we say, since when has blank become such a controversial issue, right? Since when has standing for the bride in honor of her as she enters the ceremony become a problem? But for some people, it's a problem. They want to shout about it. Since when has assembling together as a church become an issue that people would argue about? but it has. Jack Wilkie is a young man who writes for the Focus Press Media, and we share his information and articles from time to time, but he wrote an article a while back that kind of got me thinking. He entitled his article, Get Over Yourself, A Defense of the Broad Brush. Now, if you've got a bulletin this morning and you're following along, I decided to title mine, Is He Talking to Me?, a take on the idea of how most people react, or maybe not even most, but some people react to statements that are made by the preacher during a sermon. Some of you lovingly talk about how the preacher will step on toes. And sometimes, though, the preacher says, says things that some people decide he's simply wrong for saying something like that. Now, from the article, here's one statement. Jack says, in our social media exacerbated narcissism, Everything has to either be about us or about the imaginary person for whom we can take a courageous stand. Now we're going to use several examples this morning, but go back to the three that we've already touched on for just a moment, right? In our social media narcissism, the society that we live in, people tend to act like it's either all about me, the individualism that we talked about last week, or I've got to take a stand for someone i got to take a stand for somebody, for the 102-year-old grandmother or the mother in, in the parking lot at Walmart. We joked last week about some of the good in social media. Some of you may have seen that Ricky Ritchie shared a post of his new grandbaby, and he said that I gave him permission to share that on social media after I talked about the dangers of social media. And so we joked about the good things that come along with it. But can I suggest to you this morning that if you use social media, this is one of the bad things. This is one of the dangers. And if you don't use social media, can I suggest to you that it sort of bleeds over into our traditional media? Those who watch TV, those who still read the newspapers, whether it's in print or you get it online now, you may see things like this in our traditional media. So let's begin this morning by explaining a little further what it is that we mean. Because you see, this applies to more than just weddings and shopping carts. This applies to biblical truths, even as we see in the worship example. Maybe it could be summed up this way. This was a tweet on Twitter from back in February. This is the statement. Because of the mere existence of an exception, it is unloving to esteem the innate goodness of the norm think about that for just a moment. Because of the mere existence of an exception, a 102-year-old grandmother who can't stand, then it becomes unloving to esteem the goodness of the norm of standing and honoring the bride as she's about to enter her wedding ceremony. Let's think about these examples that we've already mentioned. Think about the online worship example that we mentioned. Because there is an elderly couple, who's the exception because their keys have been taken away. Their kids have told them, you're not able to drive anymore. And because of that, then it becomes unloving for the preacher to suggest that the desire of God is for his people to be together for worship, which is the norm. Can't say that because of the exception. Another way that it was said on social media around this article was by a man by the name of Kerry Gillis, who is the director of Latin American Missions. He called it weaseling. And if you have your outline, this is the first thing that you can fill into the blanks there. But he called it, he said, this is like weaseling. That's what I call it. People who are trying to dodge the application of a true principle by suggesting all of the suggestions Or exceptions, excuse me, all the exceptions. Again, we think about people in the worship example. If it is true that God's people should be together for worship on the Lord's day. Then a person who would rather stay home will always mention the elderly or the sick as reasons to worship online. They'll keep mentioning these examples when they know that they are perfectly well and should be in attendance as the church assembles together for worship. You see, what these exceptions do though is they muddy the water of truthfulness. They muddy the water of truthfulness while they also at the same time shift the argument away from the main and needed point. The old sleight of hand trick, as we say, right? The the look over here, don't pay attention to this, don't pay attention to this over here, but, but look over here. Don't pay attention to what the truth might be, but just focus on all of these exceptions. And to do that, I'll keep trying to weasel out of having to stand for the truth by pointing out The exceptions, but in the end, all it does is simply muddy the water in between these situations. Or maybe one more way to say it is this. That if I can imagine any, any scenario in which a particular principle would not be applied, then it proves the principle to not be absolute, and therefore it must not be applicable to me. If I can find anything, any exception at all, then it proves the principle not to be absolute and maybe we just shouldn't say it anymore. Maybe we shouldn't stand for brides anymore. Maybe the preacher shouldn't talk about things that are true. If there are people who can't stand up, then we shouldn't be standing at all when a bride enters the ceremony. If there are handicapped people, then nobody should have to put their shopping cart up. If there are people who are sick or shut in and can't physically attend worship, then that's fine if I stay home as well. But here is the issue with these things. The issue is the people saying these things are usually not the ones who can't walk or not the ones who don't have arms or are not the elderly. It is other people who are using these exceptions as human shields, if you will, so that they don't have to be corrected. Go back to the very first one. Was it the grandmother in that you know, facetious example that, that yelled out? No, it was someone else nearby who felt like they needed to stand up for her and say something. It wasn't her. Knowing a 102-year-old lady, if she's still alive at this point, would probably want everyone to stand up, right? Because people stood up for her, and they've been doing it all her life. But yet, in our culture today, we have created this idea that if something, if there's any exception at all, then we do not need to stand up for things that can be absolute. Even as we discussed last Sunday with the dangers of technology and social media. This is something that has come up and come about because of the outrage culture and the cancel culture online. If I can keep bringing up these exceptions, then I can keep shouting at others about how bad they are. And while I'm shouting at others, I don't have to confront my own issues and my own behavior. So that's what we're talking about. But as usually when we do in our sermons, we want to examine what does the Bible have to be- say about something. We might notice, first of all, that we need to be holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter speaks about this idea. What is it that the Bible has to say? What is it that God has spoken about in this particular discussion? Has he said anything through his inspired word? Well, by Peter, he says, be holy. Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. I appreciate Charles leading that song a moment ago. Take time to be holy. Have you done that? Could you sing that song with honesty? As he was leading it, you know, sometimes we sing a song that's a little more upbeat before the sermon, and that wasn't one necessarily the way the song is written, but it absolutely helps us think about the fact that God has told us to be holy. Here's what he's not said. He's not said be as good as blank or be nice or do your best, but be holy. Don't consider every other example or every reason or every excuse of why you don't have to do what God says, but be holy. Strive to be holy as Jesus was and is. We might also say that what the Bible says about this is that we need to follow Jesus. Follow me is what he says in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. Do you remember the question there? The rich young ruler says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And in the end, what does Jesus say? You still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You see, we're not to worry about the world. We are to follow Jesus, not follow any preacher, not follow anyone else. But what people are doing in these examples we have given is they list exceptions, and when they do that, they continue to lower the bar to the bottom. Why? We don't have to do anything anymore because of one exception here and one exception there. We don't need to do anything that for years, for centuries, this country and people have esteemed as good things that people should do. We say, no, you are not have to do that anymore. We just keep lowering the bar because we follow what everyone else says and we stop following Jesus. Of course, he also says, obey my words. One more way to say this, and it follows along with follow me, but it's found in John 14 in verse 15, then again in verse number 23. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then again in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. We should be people who quit trying to make it as easy as we can and we need to focus on the bar that Jesus set of following his example and his steps and his words. But here's one more thing. Is there anywhere else in the Bible that we have a biblical example of this? And I would suggest to you that we do in the form of Jesus and the Pharisees. You remember in Matthew chapter 23, when you open up to Matthew chapter 23, if you have red letter writing, it is full of red letters because in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spends the whole chapter blasting the Pharisees. At least seven times he calls them hypocrites. He says that they are blind. He says that they are fools. If you were a Pharisee, you did not want to be there in that moment because Jesus has put you in your place. He called them out. That's what we would say, right? He called them out. But let me ask you, what do you think? Do you think every Pharisee was bad? Do you think that every single Pharisee was the worst? Or can I remind you of a man by the name of Nicodemus? In John chapter 3 and verse number 1, do you remember the man that we meet at that moment? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? Well, he seems like a good man, maybe a good Pharisee, because what is he doing? He is seeking out Jesus. He's trying to understand more about what he is teaching. Maybe, just maybe, they were not all, every single one bad people, these Pharisees. The point is, is that maybe Jesus could make a statement using a broad brush and talk about the Pharisees That had issues without listing every single example or exception. Isn't it possible then that the preacher could do this? Isn't it possible that Christians could do this to make a statement to paint with a broad brush but not have to list every single exception? One more thing to consider here is that I believe, and we could spend a whole sermon on this, is that God does not expect anything of you or me that we cannot do. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 that Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let me think about a couple of other examples. What about a mentally handicapped person? Do you think that God expects a person who has trouble comprehending comprehending basic facts because they're mentally handicapped? Do you think that God expects them to obey every part of the plan of salvation? I'm not suggesting that. What about a person who is mute? Ever thought about that before? Jesus said that we must confess men before our Father who is in heaven, right? When someone wants to be baptized and be added to the church, we we stand here, we stand in the baptistry, and we ask them to say with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is Lord. Do you think that God condemns every mute person because they're not able to speak? Are all mute people condemned? Or what about a person who can't speak publicly, right? We talk about this sometimes, who struggles with getting up in front of a crowd like this. They struggle with teaching or speaking, do you think God says, well, sorry, I guess you're out of luck. You, you can't speak before a crowd, so I'm sorry you're just condemned because you're not able to do that. Guess it's too bad for you. Do you think those are all cases that are true? Or is it that God doesn't expect a mentally, mentally handicapped person to be able to be obedient to the plan of salvation because their brains don't work that way? Maybe they were born that way or whatever. A person who is mute can certainly confess Jesus in other ways, right? Right. I mean, they could write it out. They could sign it out. They could live their life as part of a confession about Jesus. And I think they would be accepted of God, a person who can't speak publicly. You don't have to stand in this spot in order to go to heaven. But you better be doing something. You better be active in some way serving him instead of simply listing all the exceptions. So the question then is, is what do we do? What do we do about it? As we think about all that we've discussed so far, how can we handle these situations where something is said that we don't like, and then if we don't like it, we decide we don't agree with it. Let's look at a couple of things. Number one, this is the first on the blanks, by the way, if you're filling out the outline, this is the first seven blanks there. Examine. What is it that we are to do? We are to examine what is said. Now, this can sometimes happen quickly, right? It's just kind of an instant thing. If you're scrolling through social media or looking at something else, it just happens in a moment. We examine exactly what is said. Sometimes it takes a few more moments of thought. Can I beg of you that if you hear me say something that you think is wrong and offends you, you you should say something to me. Can I suggest that maybe instead of getting angry and elevating, that maybe you take a few more minutes to think about it and then Text me, call me, come meet with me, let's talk about it. Examine what is said. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, test all things. I already ask you if you have questions to so please bring them to us because we hope that you are testing the things that we have done and the things that have been said. John would write in First John chapter 4 and verse number 1, beloved, do not believe. Do not believe every spirit but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Is what whatever was said, whether it's the preacher or online, whatever it might be, examine it. Is it true? Now, we've already given a few examples, but let's consider a few statements as we work through these three things. What if the preacher says, well, we should be together in worship in person or that God's plan For the home, we've not mentioned this one yet. What the preacher says that God's plan for the home is that a husband and wife have children, right? What if the preacher says that? Are all of those things true? Well, yes, they are. Okay, then let's move on. Examine what is said, but number two, if it doesn't apply to you and it is true, then say amen and encourage those to whom it does apply. Paul would finish 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 and part B by not only saying, test all things, but hold fast to what is good. If it's not good, we need to get rid of it. But if it's good, after we've tested it, we need to hold to it. He would also write in Galatians chapter 6, and verses 1 and 2, you who are spiritual, restore such a brother who is caught up in sin. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is that saying? If something is said and it's true, but it's not about you still a minute and then help those who need to be encouraged. Now there's probably a note here that could be said about our offended culture in our world today, right, that's sort of come about because of technology and social media. We don't have to get offended by every little thing that is said. There is a time to be offended and outraged, but just because someone says something doesn't mean we have to take offense and be the first one to jump out and be outraged about it. Go back to number one and examine it, and then number two, Two, if it is true, say amen. And if it's not about you, then encourage someone else. Let's go back to our two examples for a moment. If the preacher says we need to be at worship services together, but you can't be there because you are too unhealthy to drive, or you have a spouse who is sick and you need to be with them, or you're sick and the doctor says you don't need to be around crowds, then to be at services may not apply to you. Say amen, because it's true, and then encourage those who can and should be there to be a part of services. Or what about the second one that we mentioned? What about having kids? If the preacher says it's God's plan for the home that a husband and wife be fruitful and multiply, but you can't because of health or reproductive issues, or maybe your doctor has told you that you can't have kids, then to be fruitful and multiply may not apply to you say amen because it's still true, and encourage those who may be trying to have kids. We don't, in both of those instances, have to be outraged and cause a big scene about it. But maybe third, if it does apply to you and you don't like it, realize the problem's not with the preacher. Realize the problem is not with the broad brush and then change. Now, This is where the rubber meets the road, right? If we're just being honest about it, this is where we're getting down to it. Instead of changing, what happens is what we began with. Instead of changing, people start bringing up the exceptions. Well, what about this? Or what about that? And they start listing all these other reasons why they maybe don't have to, in their minds, do whatever it is that's being discussed. If it's true and it does apply to you, don't blame the preacher, but simply change. Now, by the way, this was never intended to be a defense simply of the preacher. It's sort of the way that we live in the world today because some of those things that were said, just so you know, I've never shared the shopping cart theory on my Facebook page, okay? So, and I don't think I've ever said it from the pulpit before today. So no, it's not a defense of me. It's a defense of what we see around us in the culture and the way that we need to react to it sometimes. Maybe a pretty good way to sum it up would be to say this. The broad brush teaching works because you are smart enough to know when something applies to you and when it does not. That should be the case. Again, if you're sick, then I'm not talking to you if I say we need to be here together. If you know that you are not able to have children, as the preacher stands and preaches on having kids and being fruitful and multiplying, he's not talking to you. It works because you don't have to get offended because you understand what applies to you and what doesn't. We have to be smart enough or, and here's the problem sometimes, we have to be honest enough. But be honest. Because sometimes when we get outraged about what the preacher says about attending services, it's because we know that it's not really that we've been sick, but maybe we just didn't feel like going today. And then when he's stepping on our toes, we get a little upset about it. But once again, it applies to you, and it is true. And so then maybe we need to consider changing. You know, it's always a challenge as the preacher to determine what to preach, whether it's a topical lesson or a textual lesson. And some might say, does this matter? Why did you waste our time talking about this today? But I would say it does matter because we do not need to fall into this mindset of avoiding biblical truths simply because we can find exceptions. Now, I want to give you one more point, but I'm going to ask you, if you've got your Bible out or notes, you can put those up. If you want to have a songbook out and for a moment as we sing the Song of Invitation, you can go ahead and get your songbook out because I want to leave you with one thing, but I want you to hear what I'm saying because maybe this is one more good way to sort of sum it up. This is a great place to end right here. This mindset that we've been talking about creates a bare minimum Christian who wants to make the way as broad as possible. And here's the result. When we keep lowering the bar like we talked about and we make bare minimum Christians, we qualify and we nuance everything in the Bible until all that's left is be nice. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you ever hear any of your friends on social media or people in the news talk about that? Be nice. Just be a good person. Just love everyone and things will be okay. It's not, you need to come to services. You need to be here. Instead, we say, well, don't worry about it. Worship is not that important. You don't have to. Instead of saying, stop sinning. Don't keep doing that. Change your life. Instead, what we say is, do your best. You know, do your best, and everyone messes up. No one can expect you to be perfect. But Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3, and we heard a sermon on this last Sunday night at the Dunlap Gospel Meeting. I don't get into all of it. But the whole call of Colossians chapter 3 is look up. Look up at Jesus and seek after those things. Quit staying in the mud, quit lowering the bar, and look up and follow Him. Be better. This lesson matters because we need to be smart enough to take biblical teaching and examine our lives in light of that. That's what we need to do. Not hold up human shields to make ourselves feel better. Is he talking to me? Is the preacher talking to me? Yes, in the sense that God is talking to you, calling you to be holy and to live lives that follow his beloved son. Ultimately, that matters when it comes to obeying God and his simple plan of salvation. Again, I don't want you to think that I felt like I needed to say this because of me or any attack I've been under, but simply what I realize is happening in the world around us. Is he talking to me? Yes, as long as I'm talking about what he has said. And it's why we begin with asking you, if you have a question, if you think something is amiss, please bring it to us because ultimately we need to obey him. If you're here this morning and you've not obeyed God's simple plan of salvation, we sing in just a moment to encourage you. One of our elders will be coming to the front that he would hear you and listen and pray with you and for you. We would love to do that. If you have more questions about the simple plan of salvation, what it means to have your sins washed away in baptism, to be added to the church by the Lord, we would study with you as soon as possible. Because to be added to the church, to have your sins washed away, is the greatest commitment that one can make here in this life. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but you've wandered away, as we say. You've struggled to be faithful. It may not be anything that we've talked about this morning, but it's something else in your life that's amiss. You know that you've not been living right, and you worry about what would happen if your life were to be over, even this day, or the Lord were to return. You don't have to leave with that worry or concern on your heart and mind. You can come to the front again, and we would pray with you and for you. We would encourage you in any way possible to become a Christian or come back to him, even now as we stand together and as we sing.